Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, I am excited to uh, kick off uh, our sermon series for the next couple of months, looking at Ephesians uh, as we dig deeper uh, into this book. Uh, We've entitled this Made One in Christ. And uh, whatever your understanding is of the gospel today, uh, maybe, uh, as many people do, they just walk in off the streets uh, and have little understanding of the gospel. Maybe you don't describe yourself as a, as a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Uh, or maybe you've been to church for like decades, decades. I'm looking at a few people, decades. Maybe you've been uh, part of uh, a Christian community for decades and your understanding of the gospel is pretty strong. Whatever, whatever place you're in, however beautiful you think Uh, it might be, however glorious, however powerful, I want you to know that being made one in Christ is your identity, is your thinking. And also how you do life with others is this central theme that we're going to be looking at over these next couple of months. It's the central theme for humanity, being made one in Christ and how we do life with others. The first thing uh, before we sort of dive in uh, to the scriptures is I want to just say that the biblical text has fantastic creative power. I just want us to let's be aware of what we're about to do. We're about to engage with a text that has phenomenal power. It's not just, it's not like reading some uh, ancient piece of literature. Or, or a great philosopher like Plato, or the works of Socrates, or whoever else. And it's not like, you know, Paul wrote some killer letters, and uh, we just read them, they contain some good wisdom for us. No, it's, it's way more than that. Uh, Paul, he wrote a letter to a guy called Timothy, who was the leader of the church in Ephesus. And he says in, in, uh, in, the let- in one of the letters that he wrote to Timothy, all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and all of these words are God-breathed. This means that what we're about to do, there's creative power in them. And more than that, these words have life, because we know our story. We know the creation story. If you go back to the creation story, Genesis 1, 2, 3, it's a God who creates through divine speech. He says, God says, let there be light, and suddenly there's light. Uh, Here, I think on Friday, they blacked out all of the the rooms and then turned off all the lights and just that darkness. And then when they turned the lights on, it was just this powerful moment. Here, God in creation, he says, you know, let's part the waters and reveal some land, and boom, Uh, dry land emerges. And then we have this Trinitarian moment where he says, why don't we create humanity, men and women, in our own image, in our own likeness? And they're like, yeah, great idea. And Adam and Eve uh, come to be. 
You see, when God speaks, there's actions to his words. And when he acts, life emerges. And so there's power in these scriptures. I just want to, before we start this series, I just want to stress the importance of what we're about to do. Whenever we open up the scriptures, whether it's in your personal time, whether it's in life group, whether it's here, whether it's as as you're listening and reading, what we're about to do is there's, there's life, there's power in the words here. And so as we begin opening up Ephesians, as we digest them, as we immerse ourselves into them, as we literally dive into this fantastic book uh, in uh, Ephesians, may they bear fruit in our lives. And as we do that, as we dive in, as we intentionally immerse ourselves in the scripture, they bring life to us, guaranteed if we're fully willing to digest them, if we're fully willing to go for them. You see, we recognize that God is here and he's able to make himself known to every single one of us. Uh, I actually believe, uh, I've just been praying for this series and uh, I just believe that over this weeks and months as we journey together here and in our midweek sessions, it's going to revolutionize the way we see God uh, the way we see and the way we see ourselves. You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready, Westside? <laughs> okay, let me pray. So, Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the extraordinary miracle of your scriptures. And we come again and we open ourselves up again to your words, your words of life, your words of power. May they cut through all the culture. May they cut through all of our thinking. And may they come to our hearts right now and bring power and life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, uh, I just, uh, just the privilege of providing some sort of introductory statements. Uh, and, but also, they're going to be the foundation that we're going to build on over the, over the next couple of months. Uh, I love uh, N.T. Wright, the, the brilliant theologian, uh, pastor, author, teacher. He, he summed up Ephesians in this way. He says, the letter to Ephesians stands in relation to the rest of Paul's letters, rather, the, rather like the London Eye. It isn't the longest or fulfill, fullest of his writings, but it offers a breathtaking view of the entire landscape. From here, as the wheels turn, you get a bird's eye view of one theme after another with early Christian reflection, God, the world, Jesus, the church, the means of salvation, Christian behavior, marriage and the family, and spiritual warfare. Like someone used to strolling around London, now suddenly able to see familiar places from unfamiliar angles and to see more easily how they can relate to each other within the city as a whole. The reader who comes to Ephesians after reading the rest of Paul will get a new angle on the way in which his thinking holds together. It's brilliant. Brilliant. And so I, I want to encourage you as we journey together, as we gaze on different passages, as we look 
and hone in. Sometimes we're going to have a telescope and hone into particular scriptures. Others, we're going to take a helicopter view and look at the broad brushstrokes. Other times, we're just going to go hacking through the jungle of the scriptures. I want us to have some things in our minds as we open up the scriptures. Number one, Paul mentions the word in Christ 33 times. You see, being in Christ is the building blocks for our identity. Uh, And I'm going to talk about this a bit later. But everyone is included. No one is excluded from being in Christ. And in Christ is Paul's central piece of theology. We We count 33 times just in Ephesians. In the whole of New Testament, Paul, Paul uses this word in Christ 169 times uh, through, the, through, the, through the New Testament. This is huge. This central piece of theology is huge for Paul, and it's huge for us. Number two, those of us who are in Christ are not disconnected. As we look over these next few weeks, you are not disconnected. You're not excluded, but rather you're included and you're brought into God's plan for humanity. Look at each other and say, you and I are part of God's master plan. You and I are part. You are, really? You and I, yes, you and I are part of God's master plan. It's true, absolutely true. And we're going to see this over this series. And number three, uh, Paul here He's trying to break ground. He's trying to help the readers. He's trying to help us to ground, to shape, to challenge us how we're to live out our faith in challenging circumstances, in a city uh, with lots and lots of challenges. What I love about Ephesians is that uh, Ephesians is the only New Testament letter without a clear problem being addressed. You see, lots of the New Testament letters to churches or to, or to people groups, they were addressing certain tweaks in uh, theology or language. They were, certain, they were trying to put some buffers. Uh, imagine like Tempin Bowling, where you, where you have the buffers on the side. The, 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 the New Testament letters were a bit like the buffers. Just, let's get you back on course. What I love about Ephesians is there's no clear problem being addressed. Paul here is just flexing. He's just, what can I write to the church? What can I write to people? And so we get this beautiful, every verse, every line has some beautiful phrases for us. Uh, As we launched Vineyard, uh, as we launched a church nearly eight years ago, this was our first sermon series. And I think it went on for about six months. Um, I got stuck on the first verse for about four weeks. And so then we had to kind of speed up. It's a challenging city. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first five verses of Ephesus. And then we're going to look at being in Christ. Are you ready? You ready? So Ephesians 1, uh, verse 1 to 5. Slide will come up. Hopefully there we go. Ignore the 3 to 14. Ephesians 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, 
the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true. And it was given to you and I in love. What I want you to notice on these first, uh, forgive me for the slide, it's verse 1 to 5. What I want you to notice is that this was written by a a guy called Paul. And so it's easy to skip over and rush into the volume of the text. But it's written to somebody whose life has been radically changed. There's irreversible change that has happened in his life. Paul is no longer a prisoner to his own thoughts, his own way of doing life, his old identity. He's been captured by this incredible love of Jesus. He's been captured by astonishing love of God. This guy who was once an alien to God has now discovered faith for himself. And before he changed his name uh, to Paul, he used to be called Saul. And Saul's danger was to persecute and kill Christians until that dramatic uh, moment on the road to Damascus in, in Acts 9. One of the first things to discover about, about this is that his name didn't come when he became a believer. His new name, his new, new identity didn't come when that, that moment he became a Christian. God didn't look at Saul and said, I know, I know what you've done in your past. I know it's been so bad. You've done many wrong things in your life. You've killed my people. Now, what you need is a clean start. What you need is a name change. He didn't do that then. I I would have thought he would have done that then to kind of give him a fresh start. But Paul's new identity didn't come at the moment of his new birth. What's interesting to me is that Paul's uh, name change happened when he engaged in ministry and mission. The first time he stepped out with Barnabas, and began taking this astonishing love of God to other people. When he began sharing this love uh, of God to other people, God then says, hey, your name used to be Saul, but I'm going to change it now to Paul. And I want to just propose that this name change symbolizes our God-given identity and mission. When God changes a name, he changes an identity, but also the purpose for, for that, this person's life or the mission. We see that with, in the scriptures, Abraham in Genesis. God changed his name to Abraham and made a promise to him about his, his purpose and his mission. Uh, Jesus, he renamed Simon to Peter. Peter means the rock. Jesus had a purpose for, for Simon, and so he called him Peter. Uh, to determine his purpose and his mission. Uh, Jesus, as as you read the gospel, Jesus occasionally called Peter Simon, uh, even though he changed his name, because I wonder whether he sometimes acted like his old self. Um, We said goodbye to our dog, Charlie, this week. Uh, many of you have been heartbroken. um, I even had to explain to one of the children today... uh, uh, they call this dog church because of uh, because of Charlie. So uh, uh, we we've just been reflecting on on our on our dog, and we we first uh, found him at Batsy Dog's home, and they they'd named Charlie Fluffy. That was his original name. And as we walked in, I was like, the first thing that's got to go is that name, <laughs> because there's no way I'm walking around Tootingback Common shouting out Fluffy. 
And um, so we changed his name. We had a vote. We had a whole list of names, and we changed his name uh, to Charlie. And, uh, uh, but for ourselves, our names, there are identity-shaping identity names, phrases that we give ourselves, which I, I believe this season God is wanting to, to reform and reshape us. My, my, my prayer is that we will begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, which is in Christ. The way God sees you is in Christ. The way God sees you is in Christ. Uh, and some of the names we give ourselves, we've had for years, for decades. And it's time to start believing some truths about how God sees you. Uh, for me, I never knew my dad. Uh, my dad had a family. Uh, and I grew up as a child and as a teenager thinking that I was a mistake. I should, I should never have been born. And it led, it led to believe all kinds of things that I, when I became a follower of Jesus, that I wasn't really part of God's family. I wasn't really a son. God really wasn't my father. And this brought havoc on my identity, havoc on my relationship. Uh, Viv's at Westside, havoc on my marriage. Viv's probably nodding. <laughs> and being a father who has never been fathered has also meant that my kids need lots of prayer. A future therapy, I imagine, and, uh, and forgiveness. They've forgiven me and forgiven me so many times. And so this whole subject of identity has been a really long process. And for many of us, it's been a process that we're still, we're still going through. This, this season, this series is about recovering our, some of our identity. Healing, relearning what is the truth. This is a time to kind of look differently at our landscape again and remember who we are. And saying that the lies that you and I have been believing about God, about myself, they're to come under what the Lord says about us. The irony is for years and years and years as a, as a, new, as a Christian, strangers in church meetings, I'd go and be in church meetings and I'd have a stranger come up to me so, you know, I've just been praying for you, and I, I just feel like the Lord wants to say this. I'd have dozens of people at different meetings throughout the year say, say this exact phrase. God wants you to know that you're his son. He's your father. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times people were saying that God was trying to tell me who I was, and it needed strangers to, to encourage me. And so freedom and a more secure identity has come actually through me helping others who are far from God discover their identity and starting, me starting to believe that what God says about me. So Ephesians 1 is part of my story and I want it to be part of your story as well. When God puts a new name in your life, he's not saying that you can escape your past He's not saying that you can get out of what's held you back, but he gives you a new identity so you can enter into your new future. Whenever there's an identity shift, it's for a purpose. And for some of you here, some of you at Westside of Battersea, there's people around the room where, yeah, I'm, I'm about to enter a new season and I need an upgrade in my identity thinking. Uh, Paul needed a new name. 
so he could enter into his new identity, his new mandate, his new adventure. And you and I need a, a new, a, an upgrade or a new identity. We all need new names because God uh, is doing new things. He's always doing new things. You need an identity because God has a new inheritance for you. Some of the ways to capture that is through worship. Uh, we sing, we declare in songs as we sing, which form our identity. Through prayer as well, through your private prayer, through your reading, through ministry, through prayer ministry, getting people to come and, and pray for you. And in a few moments, we're going to have that opportunity across the sites for people to receive some prayer. You see, God wants to get everything that he has in you. He wants to get everything that he has in you. But in order for God to get everything in you and in me, we need some foundational truths of our identity. Uh, and what, what is it that uh, we need to change? Uh, Brennan Manning. Uh, every time we baptize someone, we give someone a Brennan Manning book. And in the book, it says, he's a brilliant author. Uh, and he says this about identity. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. You see, there are huge, many of us know this, there are huge cultural pressures commanding you uh, to name your identity. In our schools, children are being pressurized to name their identity. Social media norms now in our society are producing pressure on many of us. I want to say our identity is not what society is saying about us. It's not even where we get our joy. Our joy is not our identity. Our job is not our identity. Our relationship status is not our identity. Our sexuality is not our identity. My bank account is not my identity. What, what football team you support is not your identity. Identity is not in our suffering. My identity is not in my sickness. Our identity is also not in our spiritual gifts. Sometimes we get caught up with, these. this is my anointing, and this is my identity. It's not in that. Our identity is in Christ. Simple as that. Our identity is in Christ. Whether we have joy, whether we have suffering, turn, turn to your neighbor and just say, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? What's your identity? The internal and external statements we say over ourselves, about ourselves, they end up becoming our identity. Do you get that? The internal and external statements we say over ourselves, about ourselves, they end up becoming our identity. So as a child, uh, my identity, I'm, not, I'm a mistake. I shouldn't have been born. My dad didn't love me. He has another family. That ended up becoming my identity. And so some of these statements we say about ourselves are not what God says about you. Ephesians 2.10, we're going to get to this. Beautiful. 
It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Just turn to your neighbor. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, beautiful, beautiful scripture. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so we can do good things he's planned for us. So it's vital to remember who we are determines what we do. Our identity as in Christ affects everything. You see, we're not our own. We've been brought with a cost of Jesus' life. So before we go rushing off, thinking about the what of uh, Ephesians, I want this morning to just to drink deeply into our identity and bask in the glory of whose we are. Whose we are. We, We are in Christ. We belong to Christ. Don't look past the why to the what. Enjoy the why as a fuel to the what. Does that make sense? We've hit this quite, quite a bit, but it's worth mentioning. In Christ is the central theme of, of Ephesians. It's central to Paul's theology. Let's have the next slide. How, God defi- I, sorry, as, how Paul identifies himself and his right... Oh, sorry, not quite yet. Sorry, my, that was my mistake. I didn't add that slide. Where Paul is, remember where Paul is, he's writing from a prison in Rome. And again, it's not like a UK prison. It's basically a hole in the ground. If we can imagine uh, almost like a dungeon, hole in the ground, uh, the space is minuscule, it's filthy. Even in the midst of this dungeon, in his circumstances, he wrote powerful statements about his identity and about your identity, and to the church that needed to know who they are. This is Paul writing to you and I. Do you, who do you think you are? Do you know who you are? We are in Christ. We are in Christ. And so let's have the slide. What we're going to do across the sites, you see Ephesians is littered with identity-forming statements. This week, I want to encourage you to read, read the book, Read the book of Ephesians. It's not very long. Uh, Hone in and meditate on some of the statements, particularly in chapter 1. And there are dozens and dozens. I had dozens and dozens uh, last night. And for your benefit and font size issues, uh, I've just uh, honed in on the the first five uh, verses. What are we going to do here? Here at Ballam, at Westside and Battersea, if you're willing and able to, would you just stand up? Because what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to just declare together these, some of these identity-forming statements. Who I am in Christ. So after three, let's say this together. You don't need to say the scripture. Just say the words. After three, one, two, three. I am faithful. I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I am adopted as his child. I am given God's glorious grace lavishly and without restriction. This is the first five verses of Ephesians. 
Do grab your seats, do grab your seats. Or do stand, I don't, I don't really mind. Ephesians is littered with these powerful statements, identity-forming statements, which I just want to encourage you over these next, uh, next few weeks to, uh, to marinate in, to chew over. Um, Ephesians 1.7, I am in him. I have redemption. Ephesians 1.8, if you don't feel forgiven, I am. It says, I am forgiven. I have a purpose. I'm sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I could go on and go on. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? This question is identity-shaping, life-altering, and eternity-affecting. Who do you think you are? Paul here is starting this book to a people to the people of God with an identity statement for a people who are bombarded from all sides of culture. Paul here is giving them an identity statement. You and I are this. We're in Christ. Who do you think you are? How would you answer this question? And it's, an, it's a really, really important question. Once we answer that, it's the question that changes everything. Because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. Who do you think you are? You are in Christ. Your identity here isn't something that you can earn. It's something that is received. It's not achieved. We can't do anything to attain this identity. It's not something that you can do. It's it's something that God does through his scripture, uh, through his spirit. And I, I desperate for you to see that, because I've seen that. Would you allow the Word of God, worship, prayer, meditations, to continue this, continue to, to form you? I've known for me, it's freed me from a performance trap. So even though I washed my face yesterday, it's freed me from having to perform. It's freed me from being competitive. It's freed me from bitterness and jealousy, and coveting that marks our world, marks our city. And it lets you and I be who God made you and I to be. Also, the other thing is, uh, you'll see in Ephesians, is it's not just about your identity and your place in the gospel, but actually your place with the body of Christ. You're with the whole body of Christ. You're with a whole bunch of believers And we celebrate with others how God made them to be. And everyone's included. Everyone's included. No one is excluded from the love of God. No one is rejected uh, from the love of God. No one is excluded from the church community. Everyone is welcome. All are welcome. All are included. And what we do together is we're seeking to mirror and image God to a world. Because what we realize, it's not about us. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about him and our place in that. As I land, uh, we're going to go through this London Eye. We're going to watch different different pictures of London. We're going to see the landscape of Ephesians. What we're going to see is that Jesus rules the kingdom's advance, and we have a role.
as well in Jesus' work in the supernatural kingdom. And uh, we're going to see this. I really want us to see this and taste it and see it for ourselves. The question is, is not what, what we will do with Ephesians. It's not, we're going to have some, fant- we've got some fantastic uh, preachers and people who can exposit the scriptures, open up the scriptures. I want to say it's not what we, what we will do with Ephesians during this series, but what will Ephesians do to you? What will Ephesians do with us? See, God's word has power. And as I close, will you allow the scripture to form you, to fashion you, uh, to make you in Christ? Uh, will you take God, uh, Paul's call for us to be in Christ? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.